0: hey guys welcome to episode two of the podcast little girls aren't taught this i'm your host lydia mccartney self-love coach and i want to open this podcast by first off saying oh my god thank you for all the love on the first episode i have had conversations around the episode and i was so nervous to just talk about the issues that i was talking about like i obviously know that it's really important But I honestly just felt a little bit out of my comfort zone. But then so many of my clients were like, well, you always say if you're out your comfort zone, then you're doing something right. And I was like, yeah, I do say that. So (laughs) you've all completely held me accountable. But it was received with the intention that I hoped for. And actually it opened up a space for some really important conversations. So yes, I am very grateful and I appreciate all the love and all the shares and all of the downloads more than you ever realize. So this episode is called Prisons, Probation and Purpose and it is an episode basically about my journey, but it's not the kind that you expect it to be. So it's not about lid fit, It's not about my self love journey. It's not about me as a self love coach. It's essentially about a part of my life that I left a long time ago, but that has massively shaped who I am and massively shaped the reason why I'm so mature for my age. I'm very switched on, probably the reason why I'm so wise. And I know when I touch on this a little bit on Instagram in the past people are really interested but Instagram doesn't feel like the safe space to discuss it because you know the past jobs that I've done have essentially put me at risk like you are at risk of certain people so I guess to talk about it on Instagram just didn't feel like the best option but here is the safe space to do it I guess. And also, you all know, I'm just like obsessed with crime, (laughs) like, you know, I'm always watching crime and anything that's to do with serial killers or anything, I'm just there for it all, which I guess in a a way is a little bit bizarre, but you know, we all have our interests. So (laughs) that is the kind of work that I was involved in before I was a personal trainer slash self-love coach. And one of the other things why I think it's important to just like have these conversation or have a conversation about this is because this is more for me, but I find now if I'm speaking to other coaches or I'm speaking to clients, they will ask me, you know, do you have a, a, um, a life coaching qualification? And I'm like, no. And just for a split second, honestly, that makes me doubt my, my role in the space of the coaching world. The fact that I don't have this qualification, I feel sometimes when I'm asked that, like there's judgments forming and I also feel like that can, in some cases, diminish me as a coach because I don't have that qualification. And although I am very big on academia, obviously I'm studying now, I guess the range of experience that I have before I progress to becoming the person I am now and the job that I do now has massively, massively helped me um you know there's like masses of training that I've done and I've seen really really distressing things um and had to deal with really distressing things so this is the episode and I'm just gonna talk through it and you know my experience and I guess it'll be helpful if you're wanting to go down this path or you're interested in this type of work it will just give you a little bit of an insight from someone who's done it before and The other thing also is I asked you for questions on social media, which is quite nice. So I'm going to answer some questions that you guys have asked me on Instagram. So let's jump in and go right back to where it all started. So my first degree was in criminology and I was always interested in crime, like through my teenage years, always reading crime books, always watching crime documentaries and films. And it was just something I was so interested in. And I think I was interested in it from a sociology perspective of like what makes people commit crime. It wasn't so much the psychology behind it. I guess it was just more the dynamics and the nature of the crimes that you see committed within society. Is that just really interested me and how somebody can go out and do the things that they do. Like what is the motivation behind that? So I went to university and done a degree in criminology and in my third year I was so interested in like feminism and there was lectures, there was a module that we had that was based specifically around sexual violence and women and I thrived in that module like essays, I got firsts, I was always the students putting a hand off like causing debates, calling other students out probably a little bit of a nightmare to be honest but you know when you just find a topic that you love and you could just sink your teeth into it well that was mine and quite interesting because now I really adore coaching women through trauma so I guess there's a correlation of how it pans out now in in the current job that I've got but for me it was just really interesting because I think it was the first time that I ever opened my eyes to this world so there's one thing watching crime on tv and being interested in it and there's one thing when you actually study it and study the history and study you know the sociology and the criminology and the psychology behind the crimes that are committed on women and why that is and I think for me I was like quite sheltered before I went and done um criminology like I I had never experienced anything like this in my life. I'd never really experienced any crime growing up. I was like really sheltered around good people and like had a really good foundation. So for me, I had an awareness of these things, but it didn't feel like close. It didn't feel like it was relatable to me. So I think when I got to third year in university and I done this module on um, sex crimes, I was just like, oh my God, like this is life-changing like this is just so profound and this is something that we all experience and I just loved it and from that I done a dissertation and I actually interviewed women in prison and I interviewed female offenders around the stigma associated of being a woman who commits crime and I looked at all these different Areas within the research of, you know, how that impacts as a mother, how that impacts as somebody's daughter, just how the criminal justice system casts all these assumptions and can often punish women more than they punish men for certain crimes. And I just loved it. I, it was the first time I was even speaking to anybody who'd experienced these things. It was the first time I met women and could just see the difference between me as such a young naive girl and these women that had had all these really deep traumatic shameful hard life experiences and I loved it I loved it so much and that dissertation was so good I was so proud of it and I actually got a first in it which was you know I was so proud considering I'm dyslexic I was like oh my god But yeah, so from that, I think I fell in love with and found an area that I was so interested in. And actually I was good at, like I was good at interviewing these women and getting their perspective. And I was so interested in listening and learning and seeing the bigger picture. And I think... Studying feminism again changed everything for me because I'd never been taught about feminism. I'd never, ever had anybody sit down with me and say, You do know that years ago and not that long ago, like women weren't allowed to vote, and just actually spoke to me about all of these issues that are there in history about being a woman. So I think once I discovered that, I was like, Whoa, this is like loaded. And this is just amazing. Like I just fell in love with it. So I done my degree and graduated. And then out of that, I got my first job and it was working in a women's charity and it was working with female offenders in custody and in the community And essentially what would happen is they would be sentenced by the probation or by the court, be put on probation, and then the probation officer would refer them or the court would refer them to our um, charity and our service. And I felt like a fish in a massive pond and I felt totally out of my depth in that job like at first because, like I've just said, I was so sheltered. I was so naive, I didn't have a clue about any of these adverse life experiences and I think I went into it quite, well I guess that naivety came through to be honest and the thing that I struggled with the most was the women were so standoffish at first, the women who worked with it were quite standoffish, like going into an office environment you know, fresh out of university, naive, young, full of life. And you walk into this office environment full of older women who've been doing this job for years and don't particularly enjoy it. I found that so difficult because I always felt like I had to prove myself. And then also the, the women who I worked with, the service users, I found it really difficult to connect with them at first. And there was so much judgment around my age and so much judgment around my looks. And I think that's the first time I fully understood or I fully felt what it was like to be judged for my appearance. Like, obviously, I'd been through it in sixth form, had experiences of being bullied in sixth form. But they were like, that was an experience with peers my age. So I could, I guess in a way, I could make sense of that a little bit more. But to walk into an environment and you don't know anybody and you've not particularly done anything to anybody and just automatically there's all these barriers and walls up and you have to continuously go down and prove yourself time and time and time again, it was difficult. It was really difficult to walk into sessions with 10 women who've just got out of prison and they're all older than you and you're 21 and they just put walls up, and they don't want to know, and they make comments about your age, and they make comments about your appearance, and they say things like, what the fuck do you know, how can you even help me, and it put it put me on the spot, I was like, I can see why you don't think I'd be able to help you, I totally get it, like, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand why you've got these barriers up, because if trust has been broken so many times, and these women have had so many hard hardships in their lives and they've just come out of prison and you know they have a lot going on if they have any children and then I walk in 21 hair extensions young face full of makeup and I'm like yeah like let's be enthusiastic for this program of course they're gonna shut off of course they're gonna put walls up but I think for me that was a massive learning curve around and people judging you before you have a chance to even get to know them and prove your worth and there was many times where I'd have to go into sessions with people women who just got out of custody literally that day got out of prison and I'd walk in the room and I remember I'll never forget one woman she was like don't tell me you're my caseworker and I was like yeah and she was like how old are you and I was like 21 and she was like what the fuck? And she looked me in the face and she was like, what the fuck are you going to do for me to help me? She was like, you've got no idea what I've been through. And it absolutely floored me. And the thing is, when you're in situations with people who've experienced difficult times and have been in prison and been in, you know, violent relationships and had all this turmoil, if you crumble or you don't, show them that you can actually help them and it's not about understanding, I guess when you're working with people like the women who I was working with, it's not about saying I can relate or I know what you're going through because that I had no idea what they'd ever been through and to this moment still, I always say that to my clients, like I can't relate but I can just simply hold a cold compassion and empathy for you and do my best to understand your lived experience the best i can do and honor that honor your lived experience so it was tough it was so tough and you know the other thing that was like so hard in that role is not only was i working with women like in the community who were on um who were on tag or who were on license or a probation order i also had to go into the prisons and do drop in services and I remember the first time my manager said to me so you're gonna take over this role and start going into style prison which is like a women's prison in Manchester I was like oh shit like what am I gonna say and you know when you watch these programs like you watch crime programs or you watch soaps and they have prisons in them that's literally what you think you're going to walk into. So you could imagine the fear and anxiety of me, naive at this point, struggling to even connect with women on like a level and then being thrown into the lion's Then So I thought, good. I was like, oh my God, I'm just gonna, they're just gonna wipe the floor with me. And I didn't actually have a set like I wasn't going into the prisons to run programs I was running into the I was going into the prisons to do outreach so like drop in. so essentially the women would come and see us once a month and what it was is like a it was like a in a way it was like a link between being in custody and setting them up to come into the community and making sure they had that link and that connect for the time between just about to come out and just about to uh, sorry before they come out and then when they're in custody on when they're in the community on license gosh so all these women would come to me with all these issues like I can't get hold of my social worker my child's being taken off me I've been self-harming um me appeals being declined then there was women that came in and they were like li- like lifers so they committed murder and they were just coming to talk to me, and I was like, wow, this is so far from what I'm used to, and this is the type of stuff that they do not teach you in university, like, none of my skills from university are helping me in this situation, like, right now, like, I don't know what to say to a lifer who's coming to me who's committed murder, I I have no idea what to say, and I think that massively helped me in terms of reading the space being able to read people and also give me this like notion and trust that I don't have to have the answers for everything and I think that's something that I very much uphold in my in my as a coach now is like I don't need to have all the answers because sometimes just holding space and allowing for the conversation provides the answers all the answers that are needed it doesn't necessarily have to come from me and words out of my mouth so style was massive for me but you know what I absolutely adored going in there because I seen the same women every week and I think once I got over that fear factor and once I just realized I think you know what it was for me once you strip the crime back and you don't look at the crime and I just seen these women as women coming in with issues with with struggles and they were just simply coming in to talk to me about it and see if there's anything that I could Do because I was on the outside. I think once I looked at the role like that, everything massively changed and I just began to love it. Like, I just love supporting the women. I loved hearing about how they were building, you know, like communities and how they had jobs in prison and just also how they were getting by day to day being confined in a prison. And Style, in all honesty, is a nice, quite a nice prison. It's in Wimslow. It's you know, got, like, open grounds, it's not the worst thing, like, I've also been to Walton Prison in Liverpool, which is just horrendous, and I think that was completely different, so hearing how these women build a life, even though their, their freedom has been taken away, massively opened my eyes, and I think it gives me a lot of perspective about my life, and it actually really helped me mature, because, you know, at that point, when you're 21, 22, gosh, something happens that's so minor and you just blow it up and think it's the end of the world. And the reality is when you begin speaking to people like this, who's faced hardship, I, when there's women who I was speaking to been in prison for 20, 30, 10, five years, and you think, wow, like that's the type of stuff that is life-changing and that's the type of stuff that would impact your mental health. Not me sulking about something or stressing about dress that I'm wearing on the Saturday night or the fact that you know I couldn't get a table reservation with my boyfriend and I'm being really arsy about it or you know worrying all the time constantly about if I look good and it didn't matter to them like it didn't matter about that they just wanted me to be able to support them emotionally so style was so good and I think one of the other big learning lessons from style is there was a situation that occurred where there was a life at that was there was like a whole thing going on in terms of a relationship and it just being violent behind the scenes and no one really knew about it and all of these huge safeguard and concerns. So what ended up happening is that somehow landed on my plate because I was speaking to the woman involved and speaking to other women who were around this relationship at the time and it was just sheer manipulation, um, very volatile and that was the first time I was ever like forced to be in an uncomfortable situation where I had to stand up and take a, a role and I had to break that confidentiality with people I was speaking to and I had to make decisions based on you know my role as a support worker and the safeguarding side of things and that was very uncomfortable even though you know safeguarding is a huge thing it's like you feel like you're breaking a friendship and a trust in a way and you feel like you're going against like a friend who's confided in you you feel like you're pushing the boundaries and going against that and you know it it was never a doubt or a question if I was going to do that because it wasn't a good situation and it was a huge guard it was it was a huge safeguarding concern but then to have to take that, like, to the prison, and the governor, and all these things, and I was, and my manager, I was like, oh my days, and, you know, that doubt creeped in, well, when I say creeped in, that doubt was, like, hugely there, of, are you making the right decision, are you sure, what is the impact of this going to be, because you've got to continue to go in, and still do your job, and these people are going to be so hostile, so volatile, and what if you actually make it worse, but, thankfully it didn't, it didn't make it worse. And thankfully, you know, the prison and stuff believed everything that was said. So I was grateful in that sense, very grateful. So after I, well, at the time I was doing this, I also picked up like another role within that charity and it was working with domestic violence victims. So for, I think it was around three years, I was doing the prison work, I was doing the, I was running groups within the charity, so I like devised a full group called Understand Your Emotions and now that I had any of that is like I'm a coach, but it's so funny, um, and it was called Understand Your Emotions and I just loved it, I would just go in and there was like 10, 12, 15 women and we just talk about our emotions and they would share experiences and I guess actually now I'm saying that, That's in a way what I've produced with the divine is that sense of sisterhood and deep, deep, deep connections. And I think that's the first time I ever seen how powerful that was. And I think seeing that from a, a group of women who were so marginalized, so judged, having so many struggles and battles and they would come together and they would share their experiences. And I think me doing those programs really helped the women warm to me and they by the by the time I left our charity, they absolutely loved me like we'd go we'd do cooking lessons once a week and they just seen me as relatable I don't know how they seen that in me but it wasn't for me to prove my worth I guess in a way and I think once I realized that I was like it's not down to me to be pushy when I'm dealing with these people who are who have got so many walls up and are so vulnerable and so marginalized like that's not up to me to be honest to to have to prove it like they will take to me if and when they feel ready to and I think just by holding space and allowing them to open up and making them feel safe and being consistent with the support that naturally happens so now I know that people might not take to me in the first instance and as long as I just continue to hold space and show up as authentic as I can and let them know that I'm listening in a compassionate way, that they will take to me when the time's right. So I also then, like I just said, picked up a role in a domestic in the domestic violence service. So this was called the Ruby Project. And essentially what this was, it was funded by the National Lottery. And it was the very first service to actually give women support on the point of entry into hospital after a domestic violence incident. So a woman would get admitted into A and E. We, if she consented, we would get a phone call, and we would go down and literally, as she was in the hospital bed, talk through like safety, um, you know, any plans to ex- escape, take take like notes and not statements, but essentially take notes of what was being said, and then liaise with the police and work with the police. And that was another really eye-opening, massively eye-opening role because you know, I'm I'm dealing every single day with the darkness of humans and I'm seeing firsthand how prominent female violence is and I'm seeing the impact. And, you know, if you think about it, if there's a funded service to go into hospitals when there's A&E admissions for domestic violence well then that in itself is just shocking I think that there's even that service there so it was it was raw it was eye opening it was took my breath away in many different ways that my role as a support worker did for the female offenders because this showed me like the true ugliness and you know, going into A and E, you're gonna see wounds that are being inflicted. You're gonna see the mental state that women are in when they've just left an incident. You're you're going to feel the fear, and there would be many times where we'd be sitting with the women in hospital, and the offender would turn up, or a partner would just turn up. And obviously, not only is she at massively high risk, we were at risk. So these this job, when you when you begin coming into this realm of domestic violence and this type of work is when there is a a risk against yourself and there's a risk against yourself because obviously one your job that you're doing but two the fact that you're female so these people who were were perpetrating this this violence against women will obviously they're not happy the fact that you're a woman trying to help their woman and it's a risky situation and there'd be many times when we were doing Um, domestic violence groups like the freezing project where you'd see male offenders pull up outside and you'd see them watch and they would just sit there and they knew full well that there was a support so we kept it as quiet as we could but they knew that their partners were getting support and they did not like that so the Ruby project was something that I loved and I loved it because at the time I felt like I was making a huge difference and you know the, B time, the, the hard side of that is the B be times where you'd spend hours doing safety plans for people you know getting the police getting refuges getting everything that you could together for someone and then you would drop them off and then you'd come into work on the Monday and you'd get a phone call to say the perpetrator turned off they made contact and they left and I think the reason why that's frustrating is because you you as the, as the worker put so much energy into that but you also can't judge because you you see firsthand the manipulation and the fear that is what you see you see the fear of why these cycles repeat all the time but also the impact on like obviously moving a mother into a refuge meant sometimes there would be kids and I remember one case we had and we were put we spent hours 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 getting a woman into a refuge and she had kids and then we had to go shopping and get the kids food and try and rustle clothes together out of the donations that we had and we just we took them down to the refuge place and I never I'll never forget just the kids faces like they were just happy and I was like wow they, what does this say about what they've come from that they are so happy to be here like in this space like they know they know that something's gone on because kids are so smart and, and intuitive and they can see the physical wounds on their mom like their mom had black eyes and a uh, big bruise down the side of her head and she wasn't in a good way obviously and it had just happened, and I fortunately think she had, like, bruises around her neck and stuff, so it was a, it was a really serious incident, and that's the reason why we had to put so much effort into moving her, because the risk was so high, and we done all of this, and then we done that on the Friday, and we didn't finish work till, like, 8 p.m., and I remember coming in on the Monday, and she'd been in contact with him, and me and my colleague were just, like, oh my god, like, in a way, you just think, like, why? Like, you know why, but you just think, why? Like, we give you everything. But the fear, again, keeps the attachment. And I guess it, that, that was the point for me when I began to notice I needed a change in roles because I you know, when you do this type of work, you can only really do it for so long before it does massively begin to impact you, because the the level of violence that you're seeing, especially when it comes to working with domestic violence, the level of violence that you're seeing, and just the attitudes towards women, and the beliefs around women, of course they are going to wear you down, and of course they are beginning going to begin to shift you and change you as a person and there's only so many times there's only so long I personally felt while I was doing this work that I could do one certain thing before I began to felt like really drained and chipped away at doing the job and I think that was a turning point for me spending just seeing the happiness on the children's faces and spending so much time for this woman who had nearly died at the hands of her partner and it was traumatic for her and the children, and then they were back in that situation, and it just broke my heart, like it really, really broke my heart, Um, and I think that was at the point for me when I was like, yeah, I need to begin to move on and look for something new, and you know, my time doing this kind of work has come to an end, but the Ruby Project, I have so much Um, and my, my time coming out of university, because I got these jobs, literally, I, I graduated in like the July, and I started this work in the September, so I have so much gratitude for that time, and that all of those experiences I had, because actually by the time I was 22, or yeah, by the time I was 22, I had a wealth of experience, and I'd dealt with so many areas so many mental health issues so many high-risk situations and it really gave me like a really good perspective on the struggles women have and crime that women commit and why they do the things that they do and it's not just as black as and black it's not just as black and white as committing a crime there's so many many deep layers underneath it all um and I remember when I left the Ruby Project I had this one-on-one client and she gave me this cup to start my new job and she she wrote me a card and she was like you've saved my life more times than you'll ever realize and that hit me I was like wow that's the impact like that's what you do for people when you work in this field like you change their lives like you save them, you help them and they they have everything to own to themselves because they are the strongest people I've ever known. But it's even just little things like going to court with women and sitting there when she knows she's about to see the perpetrator or she knows she's about to be questioned or fighting a woman's corner when she's having meetings with social services who are chipping away at her as a mother and making her feel like she's not good enough. And the reality is she's doing the best that she can, but she's struggling and she's drowning. And instead of people actually reaching out with that compassion, people are reaching out and judging and slandering and just adding to the problem. So there was so many, 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 many benefits of doing that work. And it, it did massively mature me in so many ways, hugely, hugely matured me. So after coming out of that work, I went into the probation service and for me the probation service was like growing up I'd always wanted to be a police officer and I did try so many times to get into the police and I was always turned down for something and I didn't quite understand what it was like at one point I was turned down because I wore glasses and I knew that wasn't the reason why because there's police officers who wear glasses and also I wore contacts at the time and the reason was like we couldn't let you into the specials because if you're driving a car and your contact falls out, what are you going to do, and I was like, that's such bullshit, (laughs) like, no, but I didn't understand the reason why, I didn't get it, so I applied for the probation service, and for me, this was like the job, so this was like the job that I wanted to work my way up in, I see myself doing long term, I loved the type of stuff that I was going to be doing, because I applied for the NPS, so the NPS is the National Probation Service, and that is the part of it that still falls under the government, so your class is a civil servant, and it's working with high-risk people, so you don't get any low or really medium, you might get a few, but if they are medium, they're on like the cusp of becoming high risk, so you get pretty much high risk and very high. So I went into it as a PSO which is the level below a probation officer and you have to train to be a PO. So I straight away adored it but I went from working with women to men and in many ways that's very different because men are not as emotion emotional and not as complex in terms of you know what you will get from them in the sessions but they are very standoffish they are very, in my opinion, judgmental. And they are higher risk because you don't get the emotions in the session. So the difference between the role I was doing and the probation role is I was in a way like an enforcer of the license. So it was my job to make sure that they adhered to the license in the community. And if they didn't, it would be recalls back to prison, it would be breaches. So the role was very different, because when I was working with women, I was like a compassionate support worker, in probation I was very much like, I was compassionate, but the line was so different, and the dynamics between the relationships were very different, and if you just imagine for one minute being 23, 24, going into a room with a male offender, high risk, and he is just like, no, like, you're a woman, you're young, and in a way, there was many times where that was, uh, there was manipulation trying to occur, and there was so much deceit from the people I would be looking after on my caseload, and that role really made me ground into the fact that I, knowing fully that you are good at what you do. Like I had to know that I was good in that situation and I had to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I had to get uncomfortable calling these men out on their bullshit. I had to get uncomfortable setting boundaries and being like, if you do this, it will result in breach. And that was a job where you are a high risk, like you are dealing with serious Dangerous people, and you are the person that decides if they go back to prison. Well, you they're the, the people who decide it, obviously, if they don't adhere to the license, but you're the person that has the final say and decides if they go back to custody or they get extended or they can go on holiday. Like, it all falls down to you, and they don't like that. Like, obviously, it's a given. If someone commits a crime, they don't like getting caught and they don't like the consequences of getting caught. And it just so happened that I come into the mix at the point where it was it was the the space between prison and freedom and it was that space where they forget that they're not quite free they're bound into this contract and they're bound into this license and these conditions and when you begin dealing with the very high risk people you understand that their life just continues often when they come out of prison like not all the time but their life just pretty much continues and at some point it's going to catch up on them, at some point you're going to get that phone call off the police officer that tells you your guy just committed an offence, and you're like oh amazing, but he said he was at home with his girlfriend all night, so and then you have to go down, and you have to in a very clever way bridge that conversation and see what their point is before you hit them with facts so there's a lot of skills that are required and I think you know I I made the team were absolutely incredible I miss working with a team and I miss working with that team so much but a lot of the probation officers would be like yeah you can just come in and see this high-risk guy with me and you know you can do some work with him. So like if there was domestic violence perpetrated, there'd be programs that they would do, and my colleagues would be like, "I want you to do this. Like I'm sending you in for the reason to do this." And that sitting face to face with somebody across a desk is intimidating. Like it's difficult and it's scary, and it's difficult and it's scary because you know at any point they can react with violence because that is what they're so used to. And intimidation is when they're sitting opposite a young woman it is the most natural thing that they are going to do and also you do hear stories about violence against probation officers and um kickoffs in in the in the offices that you're in you do hear about all of this and you see all of this for yourself so you're very much aware that risk is always there and it's always on the forefront of your mind and the thing is you're not overly protected like you know, I don't even think there was like a panic button in the offices that we used to go into There was cameras, but there wasn't any panic buttons. The only reason you'd know if there was something going on is maybe like, uh, there'd be a phone call and then like all the staff would just start running downstairs and they'd all just like run into the rooms. So it was, um, yeah, it was intense, but I think the team very much made that job what it was and the team very much helped me find my feet with that job so not only are you dealing with all of this risk but also you have to read case files and details of cases that are just awful like that you just can't comprehend and you know some people say oh well why'd you do it why'd you read those cases and I'm like it's a job like it's my job to read that and also I'm gonna read bad cases because you have to get used to doing that. I can't just stay reading case, cases of low-level offenders. I have to read the worst types of ones because, you know, you have to build up this level of resilience when you're working with these people because, one, somebody can appear low-level or medium risk and they it could come to the surface that they're a sex offender with masses of victims and then it's your case. So you have to be prepared for the unknown in that job as well and also if you're going to like me I wanted to stay in that role if you're going to work your way up you have to get comfortable or not comfortable but you have to get used to processing the details of distress and cases because the way I looked at it is if I was if I was managing a group of offenders that was lowering the risk of there being more victims. So if I was managing once one sex offender, for example, reading all the details of the case and spending time with that offender, then I could understand him better, which therefore would minimise his risk to the outside world and minimise the ever being another potential victim. So that's the way I always justified it and looked at it. And essentially that's what it is in the probation service: is that like you're managing risk, um to the general public and the community. So yeah, that was, you know what? I did love that job, but in so many ways, like I didn't love it because I hated the politics of it. And I hated the boxes I was bound into within the role. And I hated the the that it was reflected back on the officer and not often offender when something happens so there'll be many times where I I remember I had one case and I seen on Facebook somewhere in Liverpool that he was just firing a gun like he was just shooting a gun in the traffic because he was trying to get someone and I seen somebody put it up on Facebook, and I was like, oh my god, wow, and then literally an hour later, I got an email off a police officer, and I was like, oh my god, I've just seen that on Facebook, like, that is my offender, what's going on, and automatically, it's investigations into what you didn't do as an offense as an officer, And you know, none of it's broached this way, and it's all very much those unions, and it's not said like this by the manager, but essentially that's what it is. So then you'd have the mental health decline of the officer, you'd have the stress, you'd have thinking, Did I manage everything appropriately? Bearing in mind you're carrying an astronomical caseload of offenders at the same time, but you're so stressed, and it's like investigations are opened up internally, and your work is looked at. And that's one of the things for me that I just did not enjoy about the job at all. Like I didn't enjoy that side of it because I thought I'm not paid enough to, to take that stress home. And I'm not paid enough to feel like I'm not doing enough in my job. And if something, God forbid happens and there's a victim and somebody dies and it's a fucking child or a woman, I do not want to feel in any way shape or form that I was responsible for that because the thing is it's like unless you fail massively as a worker you are not responsible for that like I can't dictate when somebody walks out of the session with me what they get up to however it was made to feel like in some way I had control over that so that was for me where I felt like the the disconnect begin to happen excuse me between actually going into it and loving it so much and then going into it and thinking oh okay this is yeah the reality of it um but within that role I also got a lot of experience so I was on a part of a organization that looked at child sex trafficking um and drug trafficking so essentially I was part of a team, so there was police officers, there were social workers, there were school workers, and I was the name for the probation service, and we'd get together and we'd discuss high-risk children of sex trafficking and um, criminal trafficking, exploitation, um, criminal and sexual exploitation, and we'd get together once a week and we'd discuss the cases and, you know, we'd put wristbands in place, and I think that was massive because it was something different away from my role, and I loved it. I loved this multi-working environment and I loved learning about how and it opens your eyes how children are being trafficked in Liverpool under our noses and how big it is and again it was just one of those really it was one of those moments that just kind of knocked me off my feet and I was like oh wow like yeah that is the reality of it so all of these things give me so much insight and so much awareness of actually the society that we live in and the things that happen right under under our news and the the vastness at which that happens so um there was challenges obviously involved in this role like everything and like I said before it was happened to be assertive with men was difficult like it was very difficult and happened to be assertive in that role was um was very difficult also so I think for me one of the things that led me to leaving the job I was in was I so I'd always done work with sex offenders, you know I'd met female sex offenders in the in the prisons, I'd worked with female sex offenders, but when it's female sex offenders, it's quite it's di- it's looked at quite different, you know it's in one way it's much more sinister. Well, it's portrayed as being much more sinister just purely because you don't get as many the ratios just don't know any of the same um but I think because I wasn't actually a probation officer in my last in the role before probation I didn't get the ins and out details and I think being in probation my my mum had just had my little brother at the time and he was a few months old and I noticed that um my attitudes began to change and you know I was very protective of him when we went out which is a given and if anybody was nice to him like a male automatically that for me would be like a red flag so this is a part and parcel of doing the job though it, it is going to change you like I said before and you are going to begin to shift yourself and I even experienced that now as a coach you know I'm talking to people about trauma and I'm talking to people about really distress and things that happen, sexual violence, rape, all of these things, but I'm not discussing as if it's far away, it's actually very close, it's in my space, it's relevant to me because the things that were taught about sexual violence, the reality of them is they are so close to home, sometimes it takes my breath away how close they are and how naive in some ways we are to that fact but I guess I just have that opinion because I've worked very closely in these in this world so the turning point for me leaving was one I just felt like I couldn't be myself and two I applied to I applied like two or three times for a promotion and every time I was turned down and the reasons that I would give I was given you know, one time it was because I failed like a maths test and then the other time I went to an interview and she asked me how I would deal with something, how I would deal with something that was distressing. And I told her an example of it and then that was turned and used against me as you do know you're going to be working with sex offenders. So what I began to realize is when you go into the police and when you go into like any of these organizations like probation, they want you to fit, as they want you to be a certain type of person so they can mold you into who they want you to be. And I think I've just never been that type of person. I've always been outspoken. I've always pushed the boundaries. I've always just shown my space. Like I've just been here. Like, yes, I'm here. and I'm part of the team. Like challenge me, push me. And I don't, and I was quite vocal and I don't really think that was appreciated in terms of becoming a PO and in terms of, you know, them promote, like allowing me to be promoted to shape me essentially into who they wanted to become, so that was another reason for me why I ended up like I, I felt away from wanting to stay in the probation service. And the biggest overall factor for me is there was a case that I read, and it was a sex offender case. And bear in mind, like I've said, I'd, I'd you know I'd done charity work, well not charity work, but I'd done a pro- project where called Severe where, no it wasn't called Severa, that's who I'm working with now for placement, it was called Circles UK and it was about rehabilitating sex offenders in the community and giving them like a meeting once a week, so there was like four to five of us, a meeting once a week and we just helped them integrate back into society, so for me that was like good experience because before I applied for probation I didn't have experience of sex offenders, so I just thought if I'm going to progress in this then this is an area that I need experience in and then obviously I'd worked three times and stuff um, being into prisons to meet them and stuff and I think the turning point for me was I read a case and it absolutely probably traumatized me to be honest because I still feel upset and sad when I think about it now and you know, this wasn't, there was no contact involved. It was just screenshots of this offender and he was in a group chat and it was the things that he was saying with a whole host of other people. And I, yeah, just read it and it was so graphic and it was so horrendously bad from anything I'd ever seen in my life. And it very much was close to home with my little brother, and I went home, and I just, I read that case, and I just put it down, and I went to my manager, and I was like, I'm gonna have to go home, like, I'm highly distressed at what I've just read, and they are quite understanding for things like that, so I went home, and all weekend, I was just crying, like, I could not get it off my mind, I couldn't look at my little brother, because I was just consumed with these images of what I've read, and I, it would, that was the point for me. I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm not paid enough for this. Like this is bullshit. Like I'm not valued enough within this higher service for me to be taking this impact home. Like I am psychologically not in a good place because of that case. And also, you know, the, the sentence i received was just diabolical. And I was like, that was the turning point for me. I was like, I don't want nothing to do with this anymore and I think that was probably the January and I handed me notice in, in the February so it was like all these little things that accumulated is what essentially pulled me away from probation and made me leave so I never actually planned on fully leaving to become a PT it just so happened that an opportunity come up like if like a week or two after I'd had that really distressing incident I was already doing a PT qualification and it just made so much sense for me to take the leap and do the move so I'm just looking at questions that you guys have asked me and I think pretty much I've answered them all the only thing I haven't answered is what kind of work did you do with sex offenders so I'll be honest and I can probably talk about it now sex offenders for me were something I could I could work with them with ease and the reason being is because I did not respect them and I think also because it was just my priority to ensure that I protected children from these monsters that exist. And for me, the hardest part about working with them was putting a front on and having to appear sincere. And this is the type of stuff obviously you can never ever talk about when you're doing the job, but it was appear appearing sincere because sex offenders are very manipulative sex offenders will minimize, they will say things, like they will just say details about the crime, like really graphic details, and they will say it to get that manipulation from you, and they will say it for that shock value, and um, they know exactly what they're doing, and they're very well is me, and they're very self-absorbed, and to sit in a room with someone like that takes a lot, it takes a lot of self-control, it takes a lot of disassociate I'd, I'd say like a disconnection from who you are as a person and stepping into the shoes of the role and once you close that door you think okay i'm lydia the probation officer and then once you come out again you have all of these values and all of these opinions but part of doing the job is that you have to put them aside because essentially you have to work with these people to minimize their risk so in at the end of the day you are doing good um But yeah, that was very testing for me. And that's the question I get asked the most is, oh my God, how could you work with those people? And that's always my justification for doing that. And I think that always made it slightly easier for me. And it just gave me in a way like a sense of enjoyment to sit face to face with these people and watch them try and get a reaction out of me and watch them try and manipulate by saying something about a child and just thinking you are pathetic. Um, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure that you are as far away from children as possible is something that would always go through my head. So, um, I think I've yeah, pretty much answered that question. but all around, <laughs> a lot of, um, a lot of experience, and you know, it takes a lot to be a woman in society. It takes a lot to be a woman in that kind of world and go into prisons, good god it was terrifying the first time I went into a male prison, you notice how small you are and you notice how vulnerable you are and that to be in that space is petrifying. To actually feel your vulnerability and feel how small you are is like so overwhelming and I think that's one of the other things that made me mature really quick is like going into these situations where I was intimidated and I was scared because you are left in rooms, even in prisons, you are left in rooms with these people and you have to do your job. But there's always that thing, like I said before, of, oh my God, what if, and you know the risk. And even just walking through a prison is just terrifying. Um, So I think all of these things really made me mature very, very quickly and actually give me a lot of knowledge now because I think sometimes I shock myself with the wisdom and the you know like the things I say as a coach and I'm like oh god where did that come from especially when it comes to the trauma stuff and I think actually it makes sense because I've essentially been working with trauma since I was 21 and I've just worked with it in different ways um but I've been I've I've seen the impact and I've seen it very much firsthand the impact of crime and, you know, trauma and the impact that it, the last, not only the initial impact, but the lasting impact it has. So I think for me, if I ever question that, if, you know, someone says to me, do you have a coaching qualification? I'm like, no. Um But then I also have so much life experience and so much work experience. That's not just mine. Like I have these shared experiences from the people that I've worked with. So, yeah it was a long one it was like an hour which you know I apologize for but I know this is something that people always ask me about and I know that this is something that is very interesting to talk about and it is a different side to me and it's probably a side that not many people because you probably just all know me now as the self-love coach but not many people will probably know that that's the the basis that has led to me being a coach and I think personally a fucking good coach I would say so myself and just a very mature woman with just an awareness of life and how ugly and scary life can be and that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of life but I think that just gives me a different perspective and just gives me like a different allows me to hold a different space for myself in society and be very aware of myself which is always good so yeah thank you for listening if you made it to the end of the podcast well done and I hope you enjoyed it too if you please subscribe please leave a comment please download you know and please share if you enjoyed it it obviously helps me the world and it helps spread the issue the the conversation and yeah let me know what you thought of it so thank you so much for tuning in i'm sending you all so much love and i shall see you next week